Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second part of the special Q&A episode with Dan Hulbert, where we're talking about refurbs, construction, and anything to do with the building aspect and the refurb aspect of your properties. If you haven't listened to part one, please um, go back to your podcast app and have a listen to it. It'll be really useful. Because essentially the podcast split into two parts. So look, hope you take value from it. And uh, yeah, if you're if you're joining us straight from part one, thank you very much for continuing to listen. Don't forget to download Dan's free ebook as well, where he's given a link in the podcast part one and part two, and it'll be in the show notes. The next question is from Saif Rehan. Now he, I think we might have covered this, but let me know if there's anything you want to add. He said, what's the best strategy for roughly costing a refurb? So he's a deal sourcer. So he's thinking, you know, he walks into a property, sometimes he kind of, goes on feel you know in terms of oh cost that much cost that much and sometimes he goes detailed um it'd be interesting to know from an expert on what you would advise um and i guess because we've already covered maybe how to do it i guess we could sort of ask you would you always 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 like as a as a property investor cost out a detailed refurb before you offer on something before you kind of go deep into something or would you kind of go uh you know it feels like it'll be about this much i'll do the detail stuff later you can own so roughly is not a word that I use in my vocabulary when it comes to pricing a pricing a job. Um, but because the what 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 I want people to understand and my message in 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 whole is if you get the end value way off and you don't do your due diligence properly, that's just as bad as getting your refurb budget wrong. Um, so it makes or breaks the deal. They're the two biggest things that make or break the deal, the end value or down value um, or over um, overspending or under budgeting for the refurb. They're, they're the two things, you know, legals are generally the same, you know, building insurance is about the same, uh, but refurbs and the valuation can vary if you don't know what you're doing. Now, when you're packaging deals, for me, if you're packaging deals just to get some quick cash and you're not looking to do it long term, it's it's a quick buck mentality and the rep, your reputation uh, will precede you if you do not get your pricing right. Um, because there's nothing worse as a property investor than buying a package deal or a source deal. You say it's 15 grand to refurb and it ends up being 30 because that is a kicker. So... As a deal packager, for me, like you have to be very close to uh, the refurb. Now, as a if it's you're looking at a deal for yourself, like you're looking to package a deal, and you think, right, let, let me get some basic figures down, work it, work the deal on that, see where we come to. Um, if you're getting to a good point, then go and do a bit more detail. Uh, with your findings on the reefer but that comes with experience uh you can't how can you know how to price a project if you've never done it before how can you price a project if you've not even spoken to a builder in that area i mean it just to me doesn't make sense um i think that's more just my common sense approach to most things 
Um, but sometimes what happens is you go to that area, you get the advice from a deal packager, and they go, yeah, it's X amount of money, and then you end up spending 20, 30, 40, 50 grand more than what you thought it was, and and then the deal doesn't stack up as best, as much as you want it to, you know, as two, and then especially if you're using other people's money, it's a bit like, ah, oh, you know, that's a kick in the nuts, and your reputation just goes down the down the down the pot. So, um, in regards to roughly costing it out. I think what happened is uh, you can do that with experience. You can, you can, you can, you know, get get a, a, a ballpark figure. You can go into a re, like, let's let's call let's say uh, an HMO conversion. You'll do a few of those, and your refurbs will start averaging out, and you're you know using the same sort of team, and you can see what your costs are, and you know you can cookie cutter those costs working with the packaging. Uh, the client that you're packaging it to that way you can start really getting into the nitty-gritty but if that's not something you like doing or enjoy doing then you need to get someone that can do that and if it's working with a builder or working with an, uh, one of your a partner or whatever I'm not necessarily saying you have to jv but um, if you're not great at that stuff you need to get someone that is great at it um and it's that it's that's just kind of my yeah that's just my take on that question yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it it also raises an interesting point for investors who are using sources, you know, check with your sourcer, you know, how have you costed this up? Can you show me your kind of breakdown? Can you show me where you got kind of the material costs from? Because actually, it's it's probably something that a lot of us don't do. And, and that's cool. You know, it's good to trust your sourcer. But at the same time, there's there's plenty of bad ones out there. So do your due diligence you know, compare their prices that they give you to, you know, phone a builder in their area and, and maybe ask them or speak to other investors in the area. But definitely um, look at people's kind of refurbs and, and question them if you if you need to. Um, Andrew Thomas says, what's the best way to communicate with slash speak to your builders and tradesmen? Um, so for me, um when you're communicating with builders or tradespeople, uh, you, it's just about being um, setting expectations for me, setting expectations um, in your contracts about who's doing what, you know, when you want them to be on site and just uh, say setting that expectation with them and just talking to them. But uh, what you got to remember, a lot of these guys uh, and girls uh, that are out there have got a lot of experience and very good at what they do. So ask their opinion. Don't 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 like try and think you know more than they do because you know I've been on sites where you've got a pretty layer that's you know been in the game for thirty years and you know he's going to know more than me when it comes to doing certain things. You know, building the house. So I would ask advice from him. Um, so when you're communicating with people, it's communicating with anybody really is I just listen, converse. Uh, you know, I used to be talk, 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 talk. But, you know, we were given one mouth and two ears. So, you know, I've learned over the years to shut up a bit more and, and listen to what other people have got to say. And and um, I think I think if you as long as you're talking and communicating and being open with everybody and trying to with, with builders, um, for me, like telltale signs of things going awry, uh, you know, it's like not being on site, work, not getting done, turning up late, um, texting with excuses, 
oh look got no money on the job all this sort of stuff you know for me that is there's like massive alarm bells and you should be listening to those because as soon as things are like so communication um and just working with them really uh is is and setting those expectations is is really the best way to do it um I've, i talk about a lot of this um shameless plug but at danholbert.com forward slash subscribe uh there's a free ebook if you subscribe you can get download it'll send you an email and you can click on a button there's an uh how to create a winning build team and there's loads of information in there around all of this uh in regards to you know communicating with builders where to find them what they should should be supplying as credentials you know uh how how you can find them yeah it's like there's loads of you know what's what questions you should be asking them all that sort of stuff it's all in there so yeah go and go and go and uh download that if you want to, uh, oh, to find I'm, I'm gonna download that for sure um and and on that you know you said when you get those kind of texts and those signs from sort of your your team and you're thinking uh, they're messing around here i mean what and and following andrew's question how should you communicate to them like do you tell them off do you say all right you're off the job like how how do you kind of then communicate they need to up their game and behave if they're misbehaving yeah so like if things are not going the way you want them to um for me it's you know three strike policy really is if they're if the first time okay you know fair enough second time shame on them third time shame on you you know, you shouldn't really be letting them you know, get away with stuff like that. So for me, if you can always, like, what people do, right, is, and I think this is just in general in life, is we'll text or do something like that. You know, we'll send a text and everybody, and that gets that gets received in whatever the mood the person is in. Yeah. And how they yeah. read it. It's not how you write it. Sometimes it can be a little bit of both, but um, they'll read that however they want to read it. Um, I always do, you know, if you've got a bit of an old school builder, it doesn't generally use text messages. <laughs> um, I, I'd always just speak to them. I'd always, you know, confront, I'd like as in get in front of them, understand you know, look, what is going on, uh, find out what's going on and, you know, just talk to them and just be a human being and remember that they might be going through something and in general in life, um, in managing people, you know, everybody's got their own shit and you've got, you've got to understand that you're not the only person in, in the universe. You've got to, you know, be be aware that there are people other people have got challenges and stuff going on as well talk to them find out what's going on try and be as open as possible and you know that's the best way to start the approach um you know the old uh, bt advert years ago with bob hoskins uh it's good to talk you know and it, and it generally is um most things can, as I said before, most things can be uh, sorted in a conversation. If they're still, you know, really not pulling their weight, don't be scared to uh, cut them off and get someone else in. It's easier said than done, and it's the last thing you want to be doing. Uh, but if it's having a detriment to the project, get rid of them. Absolutely. And, and that advice about getting on the phone is yeah from from any relationship from any thing in life like and us you know millennials are guilty of this like just texting all the time or like emailing but 
pick up the phone, do it the old school way, get on the blower. Um, and it, it, yeah. oh, it makes such a difference. Like I've learned that the hard way. So yeah, absolutely solid advice. Um, Something next- that I do do just to, just, just to let people know is uh, whenever you've got a project and you can get the builder to uh, be involved and the architect to be involved uh, on WhatsApp, set up a WhatsApp group. It's very, obviously, you know, it's really simple to do as we all know. Uh, I always do voice notes. Voice voice notes cannot get misconstrued. It's you talking and sending a voice memo, basically. So, um, you know, I do it with my coaching clients. I do it with my uh, mentoring clients. You know, I'll send voice notes. And I say to them, and I set the expectation, that if you want me, uh, send me a voice note. I'm not necessarily going to get respond to it there and then, but I know it's there and you'll know that I've seen it. So just give me, you know, 24 hours to get back to you and I'll respond to it. And I always get back before then generally. So, but you're setting the expectation, you know. Um, Absolutely. No, it's, it's, I use voice notes all the time to everyone yeah. and anyone. It's just, it's so much. And it also, it's, it's easier than typing sometimes. Um, oh yeah. 100%. So next question is from Safe Dursey and he's also on the, the podcast. So everyone uh, after this, go back and, and listen to that episode as well. He said, the key question for me is, how is Dan reducing his risk in the current climate as many developers are getting caught with their pants down? And it's, it's a bit cold to be getting caught like that. <laughs> yeah, it was cold this morning walking mm. the dog. Isn't it? <laughs> um, in regards to, you know, because I've, I've gone through an education program and I've learned, you know, the right way to do investments. Uh, you're always looking at exit strategies. You're always looking at, um, obviously, mitigating your risk. You know, we're, we're um, with development. I mean, I won't take on anything bigger than I can handle. Uh, I mean, we've been offered something recently that it's it's not got planning yet, but they've got a good chance of a bit of pre-app uh, for eight units. And I could probably do eight units, but it's not local to me. Um, it's a good couple of a million quid. No, three just under three million quid. Sorry for uh, development costs and purchase, and it's just like for me, it's just just I'm not yeah, I just don't want to get involved. So, um, but I'll help the guys shift it on potentially. Uh, but in regards to um, mitigate my risk, yeah, I mean I'm always looking at obviously exit strategies. You know, can we rent it or is it SA or you know is it can we turn it into an HMO or can we put a tenant buyer in there or you know, can we sell one, uh, maybe rent the other one to get the investment out? Do you see what I mean? So I'm always looking at, I'm always looking at ways that we can mitigate that. But I'm, I'm, I'm building in those buffers uh, into into any any projects. Same with HMOs. Um, same with buy to lets. Yeah, we just we just have to build in those buffers, building that that um, that worst case scenario as well. You know, everybody. Uh, when you get into property especially if you've not been educated and you're just doing networking events or just listening to podcasts which you know Tej awesome you know all all, all this stuff is, is great but you're only going to learn so much um, and, and if you're not taking action and if you're taking action and you've got no one around you to support you on taking that action you know you could end up getting into a bit of trouble um, because you're not you're missing steps or you're not putting in contingency plans and things like that. So for me, um, yeah, it's just having the right exit strategies and, you know, and I won't take on 
anything that I don't think uh, we've got comfortable exits and comfortable um, built-in uh, contingencies and stuff with now. Uh, I, at the beginning, I did, uh, but I don't now. Okay, and a question for got a, a question from me on that, and then obviously long-term thinking is is always best, especially in a in a game like properties or cycles, is you know are you finding a kind of slowdown or increased de-risking because of the old b-word brexit and, and things like that or are people still kind of like oh you know powering ahead with it uh i think the educated people are understanding that there's going to be opportunities where there's changes opportunity um i think the people that are maybe got a bit of education in regards to you know networking and things like that, and got basic education or old school landlords or older older school developers, I think they probably, well, not probably they are. I know because I've been speaking to a few, <laughs> not not buying anything or not looking at anything. Um, but you know, Brexit is like, well, if you are buying, just make sure you're buying at a keen price. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes absolute sense. And then uh, Rob Neep, who I met actually a few weeks ago in London, said. If if you wanted to hire a decent tradesman that you could trust, what would you ask them to confirm their skills and reliability? Again, this is in the book, uh, but there's all the things that they should be supplying, uh, depending on what trade they are. Um, but the uh, the book covers pretty much all of that in there. Uh, but you know, you'd be asking them if they're an electrician, you know, who they certified with, if they're gas, who they certified with, check their number. Go onto the website, check the website, make sure that they're registered and that they've got all their they've got all their registration correct. Um, asking for insurances, make sure they've got public uh, and employers liability if they're if they employ anybody. I if you're taking on a main contractor and you're paying the main contractor for everything, and now they'll pay all the subcontractors, then you, they should have employers liability to cover the liability for all the other tradespeople. Um, so that's something that you should be asking. Uh, again, if you're if you're looking to looking for tradespeople, one of the ways that I'll share with you in the book is skips and scaffolds. So that's a great way of doing it because then you can see firsthand, you're driving around your area, you see a skip or you see some scaffolding, approach the site, see if you can talk to them. The client might even be there you can see how they're working, what sort of condition the site's in. Are they tidy? Have they got everything in where it should be? You know, what's the building site like? What's the work like? That's a really good way of, of, of finding and talking to builders. So you get good first-hand uh, knowledge of what they're like as a, as a company or as a, as a contractor. So that's a good way of doing it. Mm, okay. And then actually, following on to that, I'm surprised no one's asked this, but how... Do you find good tradesmen and good builders? I know there's like things like checker trade and your network, and but have you, you know, is there a single way apart from the one you just mentioned where you can find people that you trust and are verified, or do you have to kind of do it all to find someone? So, okay, yeah, sorry, again, it's in the book. So, I mean, there's lots of information in there, lots of different places you can look. Um, places like checker trade or federation of master builders um, or trust a trader, you know, they're all good websites. Uh, you still need to check them out. You still need to do your due diligence. You still need to make sure that they've got insurance. You still need to make sure uh, you're getting references. But for me, um, it always amazes me uh, on Facebook 
um, especially in the property groups. <coughs> I'm looking for a builder in this area. Can someone help me? And someone recommends the builder um, that's their builder. And I get it because you want to help. Uh, but also, at the same point, it's a very, very small commodity piece of builders out there, <laughs> and you're referring them on. But the the point of it is is so that that's one thing that amazes me. But if you're referring a builder, your own builder, or a builder that someone else has said is good or whatever, um, I take referrals and recommendations like I would any referral recommendation for anything. So let me put it into an analogy like uh, Ted, you might say, oh, Dan, like, I went to this lovely Italian restaurant in London the other day. You should definitely try it. And I go up there and I have a really bad experience. It's the same thing because it might be the chef's not the same chef. It might be the wait waitress, waiter or waitresses uh, are not on, on form that night. It might be they're having a disaster in the kitchen. It might be that, you know, the food wasn't cooked well. So you're going to have a different experience and everybody has a different experience. Um, same with recommending a book. You might recommend, I don't know, uh, what's, the, what's the book I've read recently? Uh, Ant Middleton's autobiography, um, First uh, First Man In. Uh, good book, uh, but I could recommend it to someone and they don't like it. So don't just go on the fact that you've been recommended um, it's great to have the recommendation, but make sure you're following it up and checking that they are doing what they say they are, that you get on well with them, that you've got that, you can build a relationship with them. Uh, don't take it for just face value um, and hearsay for what other people are saying. Yeah. Okay. Solid advice. And uh, Davinda Sangero, who was on the podcast before, one of the highest listens, actually, she said... Wow, um, let's see if we can beat it. Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to now. <laughs> um, Davinda is on. Uh, so, how, so, there's a few questions. How does one motivate their builder to do a decent job? And then, kind of following on to that, you know, more specifically with payments, is it best to pay weekly, etc.? And there's two other questions, but let's go to this one, and then we'll head on to those. So motivating the builder to do a decent job, so this all comes down to the preparation. So you should be seeing if they're doing decent jobs in the first place. So if they're doing a decent job in the first place, uh, you shouldn't need to motivate them to do a decent job at your property. Uh, if you're having to motivate them to do a decent job, that's not going to go down well. If you're saying, oh, what you're doing is crap, um, that's quite demotivating. <laughs> so... Um, for me, yeah, you kind of need to um, know that they're, they're good at what they do before you employ them, really. Um, if the standards are good already, then you shouldn't need to motivate them uh, to do decent work. And the, the payment thing, uh, that all comes down to the contracts and payment schedules and what you've agreed uh, up front. Uh, so you shouldn't be paying, you know, look, commercially you will never ever get a deposit a builder will never ever get paid a deposit ever like commercial and a commercial aspect um what you've got to understand with small builders and and the, the level of refurbs and you know buy to lets etc uh they're not going to be a huge cash flow in business you know they're not going to have uh, the capacity to do that however they will have the capacity or should have the capacity to have things on credit for building materials 
Um, and if that's a question you should be asking, if if they haven't, then you know what sort of builder are they really? You know, if they if they can't even get a credit account with Travis Perkins, for example, then you know I'd be a bit concerned. Um, or I'd certainly be dubious about in taking them on. So, in regards to um, Again, it depends on how you're running the project. So for me, there's three ways to run a refurb. You uh, manage the manager. So you become the project manager and you manage all the trades. Uh, now, unless you're experienced in doing that, I personally wouldn't recommend doing that. Plus, there's a whole tax issue around doing that, which is a, is a bit long-winded to go into, but I can if you want me to. Uh, manage, uh, manage them, sorry. Be the manager is that. Manage the manager is get a main contractor in, um, which is just get main contractor, one point of call. They employ all the subcontractors that they work with on a regular basis, and you pay one contractor, but you'll pay a premium for that because obviously they're managing everything. Or you get a project manager in, uh, and they oversee everything. So um, it really depends on the budget, depends on the project and the strategy. On how you do that but being the manager the first one I said manage the manager but being them I meant being the manager that's that's a that's a tough job that's a full-time project management role yeah so interestingly and you said the tax thing is quite long-winded but I've never heard anyone say that being you know you being a project manager especially if it's like kind of a, a light refurb should we say on like a vanilla by to let would cause any sort of tax issues could you briefly touch on what that is yeah so there's a there's a uh, construction industry scheme cis tax so all subcontractors should be deducted um tax basically uh for projects now it depends on how you're doing the project if you've got a main contractor so a builder for example um and they're and you're paying them and they're paying everybody else you don't need to worry about it uh because they should be doing it but if you want to try and do it where you employ all the tradespeople individually um, and pay them as individuals so you're not got the building contractors' profit margins in there, you should personally be deducting it uh, yourself. Now, uh, I need to double-check this because I think, I think my accountant did say uh, that if you're doing it under a personal name, it's not a problem, but if you're doing it under a limited company, you need to be deducting their tax individually. So, for example, if you employ a carpenter, an electrician, a gas fitter, a plumber, um, a plasterer, a carpet fitter, um, etc., you need to be deducting them uh, CIS tax and then and for then and then forwarding that onto HMRC if if you're if you're a limited company. Yeah. Okay, a bit of extra work there potentially, a bit more of a headache than yeah. you know some of us yeah. may want. Okay, that's that's good to know. And then um, back to sort of Devinda's second questions, and I think we we covered this before with the JCT. She said, "What measures can be put in place to protect oneself if the builder does a runner slash goes bust, and is there a recourse to recoup costs if money has been sent to a builder?" Now I'm guessing we've kind of covered that in having a, a kind of tight contract. If... Yeah, having a good contract, a JCT contract, uh, will mitigate your risk. But on the levels of projects we're talking about, um, if a builder does a runner or goes bust, 
there's two 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 things really. Um, you've got to weigh up your. You've you've got to take the emotion out of it, um, and I'll, the reason why I'm saying this is because I've been through it, and it it and it it's not a nice place to be. But from experience, you need to first take the emotion out of it. You need to secondly look do a cost analysis against where you are and what is left to be done as best you can um, to find out, you know, obviously if you've got 20 grand's worth of work left, um, let's say, look, you've got 20 grand's worth of work left. Uh, you've paid the builder 10 grand more than you should have done. Um, so technically you're kind of 30 grand in, 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 in finding more funds. Um, you've got to look at it from the point of view of, do I go after these people? How much is that going to cost me? How long is it going to take? What, what energy do I need to put into that? Um, or do I look at uh, smarter solutions in finding ways to fund this deal, get it over the line, get it done, put it, chalk it down to a, uh, to a lesson and, and move forward, basically. So it really depends on how big a hole you're in. Um, and you can mitigate it as much as possible. Now, it depends on the contractor as well, whoever it is, tradesperson, electrician, plumber, whatever. Um, if they're a limited company, there's limited liability, obviously. Uh, so you can only go after them by the, as much as the, the company's worth. Um, if they're a sole trader, then they have unlimited liability. So you can actually go after their personal assets as well. Uh, so you can go after them. Um, so you can try and claim back anything through them because they're not a limited company. Um, so, like for example, you, I don't know if you've ever watched the debt programs, but they go up, they go after them, and blah blah blah. But if it's in the, if it's in the, so if a company's ripped someone off and they owe them ten grand, they they go to the company. If they can't prove uh, that that that's owned by someone personally, I like a truck, for example, or a car. Um, then the debt collectors can, if it's owned by the company and it's um, owned by the company and not financed or anything like that, they can take that basically. Um, whereas with with a sole trader, you can just go after them uh, personally, which is what happened to me. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't own anything. So <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, didn't didn't own a house. They didn't own vans. They didn't, you know, the vans are all uh, lease lease purchases. Uh, you know, hire. Um, so they didn't own them. The finance company technically owned them. The, the tools were, you know, well, they weren't worth anything really. Um, and, uh, yeah, they didn't own anything. So uh, I could have gone down the route again of saying, well, you've got to pay X amount of money over. Certain, but it's just it was so much stress of 18 months of dealing with the claim itself. Um, I just decided to look for better solutions and move forward. Yeah. And, you know, if – if the builder won't agree a JCT, you know, like you said, you shouldn't work with them. Now, you know, it, what if they agreed an email, sort of a binding email trail type contract thing where you say, look, this is what you're going to do. And they reply saying, yep, absolutely agreed from the company with the email signature, blah, blah, blah. Is that sort of thing, does that still give you comfort or do you need the signed JCT? I mean, like for, for me, like I think from what I can understand from in a court of law, the... Um, the fact that you haven't got a wet signature doesn't mean doesn't matter anyway. Um, they, if they've started the work and they've been on your job, that that's that's a contract. You, you, they they agree to do the work. 
So you don't necessarily need a signature to say, let me start the work. However, having something in place to show that you've got all your ducks in a row, um, that you know they were scheduled, you know they were contracted to do, to, to deliver the project at say fifty thousand pounds. They were contracted to deliver it within X amount of weeks. Um, all that sort of information, uh, which a JCT provides. But great for don't be scared with JCT contracts because if you go to the JCT website, there's two ways to purchase the JCT contracts, um, and most of the stuff we're talking about will be minor works contracts. Um, you can either purchase two hard copies per deal or per refurb. So one for you, one for them. Uh, you fill it in, you both sign it. But if you've never done one of these before, never filled it in, you can pay, I think each contract's about 30 quid. You can pay um, 60 quid or 55 quid, I think it is, uh, for um, an on-demand contract, I think it's called. And what that does is actually gives you a step-by-step um, video uh, training to fill it in properly and then you can download it um, but obviously that would be a do that once learn how to do it so a bit of training for you learn how to do it properly um, or leverage it to someone who knows how to do it but there's not many people out there that I know how to that, that would really do it for a, a small fit do you know what I mean you probably pay pay too much for it really so spend a bit of time 50 something quid 60 quid uh, learn how to fill it in. Once you know how to fill it in, um, you can then just future projects download the hard copy. And if you get to one and you're not, you just can't really remember how you did it, go back to the old contract and look at it and say, well, well what did I fill in? What? It, I mean, they are, you know, it's self-explanatory. Once um, with this videos and stuff, it's really quite straightforward. Uh, it, again, simple but not easy because uh, you have to take some time out to do it. So yeah. Well, well, look, great advice and great insight. I, I didn't know that, and, and I'm sure many of the listeners didn't either. Thanks for that. Um, next question is from Poonam Manning. She says, I'm excited to hear this one. Yes, Poonam, you should be, because it's been awesome so far. Um, I have one question, and I think we, we, we've kind of answered this before, um, so you know, feel free to kind of answer it really briefly. Um, why can't a tradesman or contractor tell me they're busy and booked instead of pricing me out of the job? Uh, I'm told they do that often. Um, this way, I don't know if I'd go back to them again for a job because they're outpricing me instead of telling me they're busy. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that is just a reality. Uh, like I say, I never did that because it just wasn't how I do things. But, you know, it does happen. Um, and go with your gut. You know, if, if if you feel that that's what they're doing, don't use them. It's not. It's not your. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not your loss. You know what I mean? Like the, it's their loss. You know, you're good trying to give them a, a decent job. Um, you know, you want to work with people uh, long term. You know, if then if you know, you got to sell sell the vision. Really, you know, it's long term. Don't do it in a excuse my language bullshitty way. Just do it in a way that look. You know, I want to build a portfolio over the next few years. Um, I'm looking to have someone that I can work with on a stable stable basis um you know so i'm really i want regular uh a regular relationship going with with the build work that we're doing and just talking to them about that if they if they're just like pricing themselves out out of the game then don't use them and be don't don't have it don't have a scarcity mindset about getting a builder on board just keep going with the same values and ethics that we've been talking about the whole way through here and just keep plugging away, keep 
keep trying to find the right person. Um, and it is frustrating at times and you will kiss a lot of frogs. Uh, but you know, you will get a lot, you will get some really good guys, uh, and girls in there out there as well. So. Okay. Awesome. I love it. And Sarah Jane Tennant says, what is the difference in the refurbishment process between doing regular full house refurbishments? So I guess sort of a buy to let or HMO and then doing uh, conversions from commercial blocks to flats or just a commercial conversion. What are the additional considerations or parts of the process? Yeah. So like a, a, a standard refurb, um, you know, most of the elements are the same. You strip it out. Uh, you uh, you do your first fix, your second fix, um, and then you you snag it and sign it off. That's you know, and, and that process is the same in a conversion. However, there's more to it in regards to first fix, for example. Um, so there'll be sound insulation, more more sound insulation, more fire fire uh, insulation. There'll be more. Um, you, you might have to deal more with the utility companies. So that's going to have an effect on the timelines. Um, you're going to probably deal more. There's more building control um, uh, inspections and meetings. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot more uh, building regulations that come into effect when you're doing like a commercial to resi. Uh, like I say, it's not something that I've ever done. It's not something I ever want to do. Um, but I know you know, just from experience of talking to to others and being around people that are doing all this stuff all the time, you know, surround yourself with the people you want to be around. Um, you know, it, it is generally you got there is a lot more. Um, the process, let's say, the process is the same. Um, strip out first fix, second fix, uh, snagging, sign off. Um, however, <laughs> uh, commercial to resi conversion is a lot longer process. There's more to it. Uh, in regards to building regulations now just go on to uh, the government uh, and look at building regs uh, you, you know it will list all the different building regulations uh, A to I forget what it is to P um, in regards to you know all the different things that you need to be doing and commercial conversions yes there's definitely more uh, within the processes so the system is the same the processes are slightly um there's more to them, really. Yeah. So refurbs are not as HMOs are more regulated now, uh, but uh, refurbs, as long as you're meeting the building regulations, if you're doing any structural work or any um, adding or taking away uh, any structural walls, uh, drainage, um, heating like gas and electrics will be signed off by competent electricians and gas fitters. Uh, glazing will be. Uh, signed off by fence or certas uh, regulated double glazers um, so mainly the reason why building control come in is is for it, it in the smaller refurbs as in bicycles and flips is, is mainly structural drainage um, or changing stairs or adding loft conversions or extensions that's kind of where they come in um, hmos they'll want to do a full um, you know, fire risk on it and fire, fire, uh, fire, fire risks and sound. They try and get as much sound insulation in as possible. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit, bit of a difference. Um, mm, just okay. longer, longer process really. 
Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And the last question was from Sam Sally, and he said, "How?" And we've definitely answered this. So, Sam, um, head back to the front of the podcast, but I'll just quickly say the question: uh, How much per square meter should we estimate when doing a two-story extension? Um, I know you kind of touched on that at the beginning, Dan. Is there anything else you want to add as it's an extension? Um, no, not really. I mean, um, extensions. See, when I was a contractor. I never gave a square meterage price as a contractor. I'd just price to build it. So I would, you know, how much, how much square, um, how much uh, cubic meterage of footings do we need? How much dig, dig have we got to do? How much oversight is there? How much, um, how much brick and block work is there? How much, timber is there for the roof how many tiles do we need what tiles are they are we putting v-luxes in or skylights uh, or uh, lanterns is it a flat roof or is it tiled roof um you know so i would look at the designs and then i'll just price it based on what i'm supplying and then i'll price that based on the work that need doing so i'd never give a square meterage price um i would just price it based on you know, because realistically, um, you know, three by five meter single lean to extension, <coughs> you're talking 15 square meters. Well, if I did that on a square meterage price of, you know, a thousand pound, um, you know, it's 15 grand. Well, I just wouldn't do it for 15 grand. <laughs> so um, it's, and most of the stuff like domestically, uh, you're knocking through or, you know, putting steel work in, and that's a whole different ball game. Especially now, I mean, engineers are over-engineering, are very cautious of taking out backs of houses, and <clears throat> and you got to remember a lot of these buildings, especially Victorian style, style uh, they're not designed to be knocked about and and structurally altered, because um, you start taking away what's holding them together. Uh, <laughs> you you uh, you cause a few few more issues sometimes not all the time but sometimes um, so yeah there's not really uh but yeah i mean you can ask the question but most most builders what people forget about the pricing is they go right well, i'll just get builders go and get quotes from builders <clears throat> and um you know expect them to do loads of stuff for free and you know look a builder will come around and go you've got to have the right drawings if you want to know how much the extension is going to cost give them the detail you know what a lot of property investors want is well come and price they want they they want um <laughs> what's the saying they uh they want the baby without the screaming i think <laughs> don't um, we all but you you asking a builder to come round um well, you haven't even bought the property you got to look at it from their point of view all right ted you're a builder right Ted, can you come around and look at this property? I haven't purchased it yet. I don't know if I'm going to purchase it yet, but I need to know how much an extension is going to be. I need to know how much, um, you know, the refurb is going to be. And I need to know, you know, how long it's going to take and when you could start doing it. Yeah, not happening, mate. I ain't coming over. <laughs> so, I mean, but yet we, we just assume that that's what they should be doing. And that's mm. just an assumption that, that's, that's causing issues. Um, but if you spent a bit of time before you start viewing properties but knowing that your strategy for example is hmos and you want to do th three to 
five beds or three to six beds all on suites and you're looking potentially at you know victorian style houses or um, you've got a particular type of house that you want to look at um, i would be looking to build a relationship with my team um, setting the expectations with my team and just you know taking them for breakfast or you know having a, having a time have a coffee but i'd be saying to them look you know have you got any time uh, one morning before you hit site or one one afternoon when you finished you know i'll take you for something to eat we'll sit down i'll, I'll explain what i'm trying to do um i've viewed a few properties these are the sort of things i'm looking to do what do you think you know take photos show them the photos and and get a bit of time and spend a bit of time with them and treat them to say breakfast or lunch or dinner um or you know a beer or whatever um that's going to build the relationship uh you know and if you feel like you've got a good connection with them they, they answered the phone well or they got back to you quickly invest in them invest time in them you know um we're all in a rush now that's that's really good advice and i've never i've never heard that before so that's, that's something kind of refreshing to hear and it, and it makes so much sense but yeah i guess we're just never taught to do that even though it is kind of very logical so yeah i, I love that bit of advice there um so Dan, we've reached the the end of the questions from the community. We just have one more. Now this is from Patrick Ridley. He says, Dan, can you use two hammers at once? If so, how much do you charge per day? Uh, Dan, can you use two two hammers at once? Um, no, but I can use two. Oh, disappointing! Hammers. Disappointing! Oh God, what have I done? I wanted someone who can use two hammers. Oh, me years. Oh, it's a few years back. Um, I was dismantling. I was helping a, uh, my old business partner refurb his little home office and we were taking some stuff from one off the, the inside office to this outside cabin thing that, that he'd built. And um, there's a picture of me with two two electric screwdrivers unscrewing both sides of this uh, wardrobe and taking it apart. And he went out to uh, – he said, look, I really need help with fitting a floor. And I said, look, I, I don't – like getting on the tools anymore i said but I'll, I'll do it and um it was about 10 maybe 15 square meters of flooring um real wood floor he went out to go and get some other stuff and had to do some chores and by the time he got back i was practically finished installing the uh the floor and he was like holy i mean i don't muck about so i can do yeah i can use two screwdrivers which is probably better than two hammers to be honest yeah hammers are a bit too blunt and rough screwdrivers are more precise so i'll i'll give you that one down so look thank you so much for for coming on the Tedge talks podcast you've given a lot of knowledge so if people want to get a hold of you look at what you're doing and and kind of download that ebook what are where are the kind of best places to to get hold of you yeah so the website's dan holbert and that's h u l b e r t dot com um you can go on there uh, connect with me through that you can connect with me on facebook um you can connect with me on instagram you can connect with me on linkedin uh, on twitter um all handles just look for either dan holbert or dan holbert coach uh and you'll find you'll find me i'm the, the tall bald good looking guy <laughs> so that's me yeah um, but yeah that's how you can connect with me you know if if you want to connect you've got any questions i'm always happy to sort of offer you know a 20 minute um 30 minute call um just to see if i can help uh if i can't help there then obviously um 
you know, we'd have to go further. But yeah, generally, I'm always happy to to try and help people if they're stuck uh, in a situation. Amazing. And before you you schedule a call with Dan, everyone, make sure you've left the podcast a review. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so Dan, yeah. look, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I, I really, really appreciate it and I look forward to hopefully meeting you soon. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.